And again, welcome to Freedom. I'm so glad to see you here. Yes, yes indeed. You may be covered in masks, but you have never looked better. And please don't take that as an insult. Uh, But it is so great to see you here. I know we've got far more people who are watching online still than uh, in attendance in the room. And to all of you, we say welcome. Thanks for staying connected the way that you have throughout uh, this season. Doesn't it seem like way more than 10 weeks that we were separated from each other? I mean, did that not feel like about two years uh, of of life that we've been through? So it is good to be back together. Um, I don't know that we will ever take for granted the gift of just being able to be together as a church family. That's one of the good things that comes through a time like this. When you miss out on something that you experience all the time, it really does make you appreciate it. So it's good to see you here. For many of you locally who are watching online, we look forward to the day that more of us can be here. But uh, it's good to have you tuned in. Thank you, Tony, for uh, just uh, that worship set and for the wonderful reminder that today is a Pentecost and that we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I don't know that there has been any time in recent history when we have stood in greater need of seeing a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit than what we see right now. Who would have thought a week or two ago that the whole pandemic crisis would be the number two news story? That it would actually be secondary to a a greater, more urgent crisis that we're facing in our country right now. And uh, I just, as I watch the things that are unfolding in the news, don't worry, I'm not fixing to go political or anything, but uh, we're all burdened by what we see. And it's just a fresh reminder of how much the world is desperately in need of a fresh and powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a fresh movement of God. Because thankfully, we stand at a place in time where things have been righted in terms of justice as far as what can be written on the law books. There was a lot that used to be unjust that wasn't right, and that has in time been corrected. And you realize as you watch what's unfolding right now, the thing that's broken now is that we need to change legislation or change laws primarily. What's broken now is just in the hearts of humans. And you can't fix that through legislation. We just we desperately need to see God move And it's going to have to be through people like us. And so what we're going to talk about today is relevant because uh, we're going to talk about changing our expectations of what God's going to do. We're in a series right now in the book of Joshua. Joshua, And if you've got your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there with me. We're going to be in Joshua 3 today. And the series that we're in is entitled Courage to Overcome. And we're talking about major obstacles in our lives, barriers to us experiencing the things that God really wants to do. We talked a couple of weeks ago about having to overcome fear, and last week about having to overcome your own past. But what we're going to look at today is the challenge of overcoming low expectations. Now, you you may not think of that as a big deal, and it actually is a huge deal in terms of us seeing God do what we need for Him to do. Because low expectations are really just another way of saying a lack of faith, that we don't really expect to see God do anything all that significant. I'm curious to know, if you're honest in thinking back on your own experience, if you've been a follower of Christ for any length of time, let's say for a number of years, I wonder how many of you could identify with this experience, that 
it seems like many of us, when we first came to know the Lord, and the, the scriptures were so fresh, and the words of Jesus were so new, and when you read the promises of Jesus, and you see the impact of the life of Jesus, and of those who followed him, and just the power of God that was on them, it seems like so many of us, when we initially came to faith, that there was just this, this sense of, man, nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop the work of God in us. There is nothing that is impossible for those who are followers of Christ. And it's like you're just ready to charge the gates of hell with water pistols. You know, you're just so gung-ho believing God for big things. But then time passes, and without meaning to, it just seems like as we sort of get into a routine that becomes a bit of a rut in terms of just how we live our lives and what goes on at church and what we see and experience. And it just seems like almost a universal experience, particularly in the Western church and in North America and in Europe, that so many of us have arrived at a place where without meaning to, and it didn't happen overnight, but we get to a place where we just don't really expect God to do a whole lot. We come to church on Sunday, we do our routine through the week, we get here on Sunday, and the best that we hope for is that we'll sing some songs that we enjoy, and we'll maybe feel a little something in here, and maybe we'll learn something that'll be helpful, but we don't really expect anything to happen, and as we go through the week, we don't really expect God to do anything, and we just sort of have our expectations dumbed down to just feel like, well, the, the Christian experience is just kind of read your Bible, say your prayers, go to church, and just be a good citizen. And that's sort of the end of the whole deal. Can you identify with what I'm talking about? That somewhere along the line, we, we started here and we've ended up somewhere down here where it's like, well, I guess it's just going to be another church service. I guess it's just going to be another week. Hope we just sort of get through. And we no longer look like this world-changing band of people who were the followers of Jesus who realized that everywhere we go, it is the equivalent of Jesus being on the scene. So that if people are sick, there is power to heal the sick. If people are in bondage or they are addicted, there is power present to see them set free. Where if people are lost that there is power present to see their lives changed and for them to come to faith and become new people, that wherever we go, it's like Jesus is in the flesh right there saying, what is needed because I've got what you need. Do you not feel in your heart this ache, this, this longing for, for something that is missing, this longing that used to be really strong that maybe has grown kind of cold over time? Do you... Do you get what I'm talking about? We have lower expectations than what we need. And if your expectations are low, the outcomes are going to be less. We will diminish what God will do because of our lack of faith if we're not really careful. I mean, Jesus himself, you remember what happened when he went back to Nazareth, don't you? His, his own hometown. Jesus is roaming around in all these places where people don't even really know who he is and just amazing God-sized things are happening all around him. But when he goes back to his own hometown where people are like, oh, yeah, we know him. He's the carpenter's kid. He was always a nice guy, but he was just just hometown boy. Nothing all that special about him. And Jesus could not perform many miracles there because of their lack of faith. It's interesting. You visit churches in other countries where people are desperate for God and where they're expecting great things from God, and you see the miraculous happening all the time. But you visit a lot of American churches and a lot of European churches where people have a different set of expectations 
And a lot of times what you see is just some nice people being nice to each other and singing some nice songs and listening to a nice teaching. And you don't see a lot of the power of God. Don't you want to see us raise our expectations? Don't you want to see the power of God show up again? America doesn't need another sermon. America doesn't need to see more Christians being nice. America needs the power of God alive and at work again through the bride of Christ, the church. So it is time for us to change our expectations. Jesus, when he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration with his three closest friends and he stepped into a a bit of an awkward situation because a father of a son who was very sick, he was demon-possessed and having all kinds of seizures, And the disciples had been healing people right and left, but they couldn't do anything for this man's son. And the man came to Jesus and said, your disciples can't do anything for my son. Could could you, if you're able, could you help him? And Jesus, you could just read between the lines. It's almost like he's a little offended by the question. And he said, if I'm able. And I know sometimes we read it and go, man, Jesus is a little too too, uh, edgy. I mean, sometimes Jesus would just be back in your face. He wasn't, you know, the nice flannel board Jesus that you saw in Sunday school. He's just like, what is the deal if I'm able? I mean, think of it in context. He is the one who spoke the universe into existence. He is the one who holds everything in place by his powerful word. And somebody's going, you know, if you're able, I mean, that sure would be nice. I mean, I don't know if you could, but if you could. And he's like, if you just had a little bit of faith, just a little bit of faith, because I'm totally able. And in response to this situation, he heals the boy and the disciples are looking at him going, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we do what you just did? And Jesus said, you don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Do you believe that this morning? Do <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> Do you believe that if you have a little bit of faith in a great big God... That you could speak to things in nature and make them move, make them change. Do you believe that? That's okay. That's why I'm preaching this sermon. Because I didn't think we did. We're we're all sitting there going, I want to believe that, but I'm not sure that I do. I I get it. Most of us don't believe that. We're like, I know Jesus said it, but it must have been code because it it, it must have meant something else. No, it means exactly what it says. That we've been given the same authority that he had. And Jesus said, the reason it's not working for you right now, the reason that it's not happening is because your faith is too small. And the good news is you don't need gigantic faith. You need just little bitty faith in a great big God. You don't have to muster a lot of faith because it's not going to be you that's making it happen. It's your little bit of faith unleashing the vast power of God. Today what we want to talk about is how do you raise your expectations for what God is going to do. We're looking at a great story that helps to build that in Joshua chapter 3. And as we read, I'll just give you a quick reminder of where we are. Moses has led the people for 40 years. God has miraculously delivered his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt through the plagues, the whole parting of the Red Sea. And under Moses' leadership, they've been marching toward the Promised Land. But for 40 years... They've been in the wilderness while God has essentially been letting a generation die off, a generation that refused to believe him and constantly grumbled against him. And so he's letting a generation die off and a new generation come of age 
who would get to receive what he's promised. Moses finally dies when, the, when they're at the edge of the promised land. He gets to see it, but he doesn't get to lead the people in. And in Joshua 1, Joshua is called up by God. The Lord says again and again, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. I'm going to use you to lead the people in to possess all that I've promised. Joshua 2, he sends in the spies, and now they're scouting out the land that they're going to take. And now we get to Joshua 3. It's time to step in. It's time to do what Moses was never able to lead the people to do. Now, there are going to be a lot of giant challenges, a lot of big, scary obstacles, primarily in the form of huge walled cities with, with well-equipped armies there to defend them. And Joshua's not leading an army. He's leading this ragtag band of two million people, men, women, and children, who've never been organized as an army, never been organized as a nation, and they've just been camped in the wilderness living as, as a vast pile of Bedouins. And they've become very accustomed to that way of life. They're camped on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And they do not look like a, a, a fighting force. There's no bridge or boats to get across the river. And the river is at flood stage. As soon as they cross the river, five miles on the other side of the river, they're going to come to the city of Jer Jericho. We're going to read about this next week. A huge walled city that there's no conceivable way that they could hope to conquer. And that's going to be the first task they have as they step in to take possession of this land. But before they begin to, to take city after city, possessing the land, they need something that is going to build their faith, that's going to raise their expectations of what God can and will do through them. And that's what this chapter is all about. So we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all of the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Now, just a quick reminder of what's taking place here. If, if, if you're not familiar with this part of the Old Testament, when it, it speaks of the Ark of the Covenant, it's talking about a wooden box that's not much bigger than essentially a treasure chest. It's covered in gold, and inside of it is the tablets with the Ten Commandments and a jar of manna and, and the staff of Moses. But what, what matters most about this gold-covered box is that the Lord specifically laid out all of the details of what this box was supposed to be like because it represented, the in this period of history, the presence of God with his people. I mean, the manifest presence of God. Like, wherever the ark goes, God himself is there. Like, don't, don't flippantly try and approach the ark because you're coming into the presence of God. It's not that God fits in a box, but he's using this as a tool to teach his people about his presence and about his holiness and how they approach him. And so he's giving this instruction about what they're to do with the, the ark and how it's going to be the presence of God leading them and how they're to follow about a half mile behind it. So verse 5, Joshua says to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I love the confidence there. He's not saying, you know, we'll just pray. Maybe God might show up and do something. He said, I'm telling you, tomorrow big things are going to happen. So you better go back to your tents and get ready for it. You better consecrate yourselves, purify yourselves. And then Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, 
so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. It's really a significant word for Joshua here personally, too. God is, is moving in a way that's going to build faith in the lives of all of his people. But it's also going to build their confidence in Joshua. Realize this is not an organized nation. This is just a ragtag band of people who've never been a nation. They don't have an elected leader. They had just followed Moses for the last 40 years, and they struggled to unify behind Moses' leadership. And so here's Joshua. Nobody elected him. They need to recognize him as the leader. And God says, what I'm going to do here is not just going to build their faith in me. It's going to build their faith in you. What you're about to do, what I'm going to do through you, they're going to realize this is God's man. We should listen to him and follow him. Verse 9, so Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot on the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now when the, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan River and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. It's a really amazing picture to consider, isn't it? And it, it feels so reminiscent of the whole parting of the Red Sea under Moses' leadership. But there's a little bit of a different situation here. We, we always love formulas, don't we? Like, if, if we're going to see God do something really big, we want to know, tell me, one, two, three, what do I have to do so that, ta-da, God shows up and, and does his thing. And yet, God doesn't ever work that way. It's never a formula. God always works in, in new and unique ways. When there was the Red Sea before the people of God and the army of Pharaoh and Egypt chasing after them, you remember Moses used his staff and, and did what the Lord said, and the, and the sea was parted. Well, there is no staff to use. There's no instruction about the staff. It's a whole different deal. This time God says, have the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant half a mile ahead of the people, and when they get to the river, tell them to wade into it. And when they do, the river is going to be stopped, and the water will disappear, and everyone will pass through. And so that's exactly what happens. Now, I won't bother for us to go ahead and read it. It is interesting to note that when they had done that, the, those carrying the ark, they ultimately end up in the very bottom of the riverbed, the very middle of the river, holding the ark of the covenant there and waiting. You can imagine it took quite a while for two million people to pass through this riverbed. And they stay positioned in the most dangerous place, in the very, very bottom middle of the riverbed. And when they're done... God said, have 12 men from the 12 tribes go back and right there where they're holding the ark, grab 12 big stones and pull them out, bring them over here onto the, the shore, and I want you to erect a monument. 
with those stones. And every time your children and future generations say, what's that monument for? Remind them of this day. Remind them of what happened and of what God did. That The marker there was called an Ebenezer. Those of us who grew up in church, we, we sang an old hymn that said, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. The whole idea, a lot of you saying that going, I don't know if I have an Ebenezer or if I want one. An Ebenezer is just a spiritual marker. It's some way to mark a moment and go, I remember the day when God did this thing. And if God worked then, then it helps me to believe that God can work today and what I need for him to do. And so they, they erected these stones from out of the middle of the river. Well, in this, this situation, we could look at it and say, well, why did God even bother to do all of this? Couldn't he have just had them march all the way around the Dead Sea and just come another way? Or, I mean, couldn't they have just taken a couple of years and built enough boats to cross over or come up with some plan like that? Why did God do it this way? God was determined to teach his people to depend on him and to have great expectations for what he would do. And by the time they came out of that riverbed and landed on the other side, I mean, what's the first thing they're going to see when they look up? They can already see in the distance these huge walls of Jericho. It's the first thing they're going to have to tackle. But now they're armed with a fresh dose of faith in God that if God's hand could step in and stop the Jordan River at flood stage and let us cross over on dry ground, then I bet he's got some way of getting us past this next obstacle of Jericho and past the next obstacle of Ai and right on down the line. And that's how God works. From faith to faith to faith, God just showing us in one situation after another that he is enough. So what I want to spend just the remaining few minutes that we have considering, if you want to pull out your outlines and follow along, I want to talk to you about four keys to seeing God move more powerfully in your life, in your family, and in, in your city and, and country from the story that we just read. And the first thing is this. If you want to see God move powerfully, if you want to see God move powerfully in your life, do, do you want that, by the way? Are you really hungry for that? Because I am. I, I want to see God move among us. Well, the first thing is you've got to be open to God leading you in a new direction. You can't expect to stay where you are and experience all of the things that God wants to do powerfully through you. It doesn't mean you've got to pick up and move somewhere else. For most of us, it's not going to mean that. But you can't just stay where you are doing what you've been doing the way that you've been doing it. In verses 3 and 4, it says, When you see the ark of the Lord and the Levitical priest carrying it, you're to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Well, how will you know which way to go? Because you'll be following the Lord, the presence of the Lord with the ark. You're going to know where to go as you follow the Lord, since you have never been this way before. That's such a critical line in this. They're not going to get to see the hand of God move until they break camp and do what nobody in their family has ever done before. For 40 years, all they've ever known is just living in the desert, raising sheep, and just surviving as just Bedouins out here. And now it's going to be a completely different season. They're not going to live like Bedouins. They're going to have to live like brave warriors as they go in and take this land and conquer city after city it's a different season that is ahead and that's a word for us if you want to see god move powerfully in your life 
you'd better buckle up and expect God to change what's happening in your life, to be open to new things for you. I can't tell you what new is going to look like for you. Occasionally, new means in a new place. But don't assume that. We're notorious for getting to a place where we're stuck and we're unhappy and we try and create a geographic solution for a relational problem or a personal problem or a spiritual problem. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that? Have you ever known people who did that? They get to a bad place. They're making bad decisions. They're in a bad relationship or whatever. And so the solution is, I think I'll run away and move somewhere else. Well, that, that's not a good solution in and of itself. But occasionally, the new thing may involve a move. There have been a couple of times in my life where God relocated me as a part of getting in on, on the next part of his plan. But more often, it will be something other than that. Sometimes the new means shaking things up so that a relationship that's been real central for us, that's been holding us back and bringing us down, has to go away. You realize, boy, that friendship was really holding me back. That romantic relationship was really holding me back. And part of the new is going forward without being tangled up in that. Sometimes the new means a shift in career. You, you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life doing this particular job, living you know, within the boundaries of this specific career, and God goes, nope, the second half of your life you're going to get to do something totally different. And he just rearranges the deck. But most frequently, in my experience, the new comes in the form of a new calling in terms of your ministry assignment. We tend to think of, of our lives in terms of, of our job our careers, and the truth of the matter is for most of us, career, job stuff, I mean, that's cool, it's nice that we have jobs, but that's not what your life is about. Your life is much, much more about the thing that God has called you to, whether you make any money off of that or not, what your role in the world is supposed to be, and that's an evolving thing, and if you want to be in the middle of God working powerfully in you and around you, You've always got to be open to what is the next thing that God's calling me to. And it's so strange and unique, the different ways that God will direct us and and point us in in a new direction. I I think back to some of the different times when God began to redirect me. And and one of them was that was really significant and seemed so strange at the time. But I was in Tuscaloosa. I was serving as student pastor of a large church there and In my own mind, I had sort of my career track planned out, and I knew one day I would be a pastor, and I sort of knew the normal pattern that you follow to eventually become a senior pastor in a church, and I was doing my best to kind of follow along that path. And I'll never forget, out of the clear blue, I have, I still to this day have no earthly idea why, but, or or how, but I walked into my office at the church, and there on my desk was a, a lengthy article that had been reproduced on green paper. I don't know why somebody used green copier paper. And it was an article on church planting. Well, I had zero interest in church planting. Let me tell you, all the way through seminary, I'd hear people talk about church planting, and I'd think, not for me. That sounds hard. There's enough churches around here, aren't there? There's a church on every corner, is the way I thought. No interest in that. And I don't know where this thing came from. I sat down and just was curious, and so... I read the whole thing, and as I read it, man, something just grabbed my heart. I'd never had an interest in this before. And it was like the Holy Spirit just started pressing buttons in my heart as I read that. 
And I could not escape that. Suddenly I found myself just having to study and find out everything I could about church planting. And what I soon began to realize was this was a fresh assignment from God. God was moving me in a new direction. And the next thing I know, I'm suddenly being called as a student pastor to a church in Fairhope. And I'm like, I don't get this. Here's another new direction I wasn't looking for. And I feel like there's this whole church planting thing that God's stirring up in me. What does that mean? I had no idea how the next few years would unfold, that he would have me plant in Fairhope and how the next 20 years of my life would unfold. And as that time has passed, just the different things that have come out of that, a a call to plant in other places, a call to plant a a Hope Center, ministry uh, center, and, and a call now to plant internationally. I never saw that stuff coming. But if you want to see God work powerfully in your life, you have to be open to the possibility of God doing new things that you had not planned on that's the first piece the second part is if you want to see God move powerfully realize that your lifestyle matters so you have to expect more from yourself if you're going to expect more from God you may say well where do you see that in the story well it's in verse 5 when Joshua says to the people make yourselves pure literally consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among us I'm not trying to say that God can't work through anybody that he wants to because he absolutely can. And and I love how he'll just blow us away with how he'll use the most surprising people to do amazing things through. That's a fact. But the other side of that coin that you always have to keep in mind is the more that we yield ourselves to him and surrender ourselves fully to him, the more frequently that we're going to see God work powerfully through us. It really is just that simple. When they're preparing to cross over, Joshua is saying, it's happening tomorrow, but if we're going to see God do what he wants to do, you better go back to your tents and consecrate yourselves. You better get your life, your heart, and your family ready for what God is about to do. And that, to me, is just a great reminder that if we want to see God move among us, We can't be flippant with how we live our lives. This doesn't mean that we've got to become a bunch of holy rollers who are always being hyper-spiritual and never doing anything wrong. I mean, the truth of the matter is we're ordinary broken people, and we all struggle with different things, and we're going to struggle until Jesus comes back or until we die. We understand that. But what this does mean is that a surrendered life really does matter doesn't mean that you've got your everything together, that you've got it all figured out and fixed. But it does mean that I don't just write myself the, you know, kind of a, a pass for living in a way that dishonors the Lord and just going, well, I know I shouldn't do this, but, but that's just who I am. That's just how I am. And so I just sort of give myself a pass to have my pet sins, whether that's some secret closet sin, some little thing that I... I do that nobody else knows about, and it's just it's just who I am. Or, or sometimes it's stuff that we do publicly, and we just, I don't really understand how we get this way, but we'll just like be blatant about it, that, that whatever. I mean, sometimes we're, we're just like proud of the fact 
that we've always got the juiciest bit of gossip or proud of the fact that we use the most vulgar language or tell the dirtiest stories or whatever. I mean, it, it can take on so many different forms. The bottom line is just very simple. We don't get to excuse ourselves and say, well, everybody's got something that they struggle with, so I, this is just my thing that I like to do. It doesn't mean that you fix everything in your life, but it does mean that you surrender your life and say, Lord, I, I admit I'm broken. There are things in me that aren't right. But the best I know how every day I'm asking you to work in me and to change me and to help me to say and think and do the right things. Now, it's very easy for us when we consider the whole idea of, of a change of lifestyle and purifying ourselves so that God can work through us. It's easy for us to think of this in terms where we just go, well, there's just so much messed up and wrong in my life, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, I couldn't even begin to list all the things that are wrong with me. And, and so we just sort of blow it off and don't even begin. And I can tell you this, that is never the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is never the result of God working in your life. That's the result of either the enemy working on you or just your own stinking thinking. Because the way that the Holy Spirit works is very patiently and consistently. And what he will do when he's working in and on us, yes, he's aware of everything that's broken and messed up about us, but he doesn't go, wow, John Beck, there's a hundred things wrong with you. Get busy, brother. He never works that way. He sees the hundred things that are wrong with me, and he says, you know what, right now, this one thing or these couple of things, this is what we're going to focus on right now. Yeah, I know about the other 98, but we'll deal with those in time. Right now, this is what we're going to focus on because he knows we can't handle tackling everything at once. And the primary issue is that we just yield to God and say, I want to be completely yours. And I realize in my own life, I say this confessionally to you, I have a, a double mind. There is a part of me that wants with every fiber of my being to, to serve the Lord and to honor the Lord and to live a way that pleases him. And I mean that. And yet at the very same time, there's a part of me that sure would like to hold on to some control. There's a part of me that would love to control how I spend my money and how I spend my time and how I plan my future. And both of those things exist at the same time. I want to please God, but I want to be in control. A consecrated life says, I'm going to be honest with God and I'm going to do my best to give God control and it's going to require me daily to come back to him and say lord the best i know how i let go and i ask you to change me and i, I just make everything available to you you put your finger on whatever you need to to say this is what we're working on right now you with me on that purify yourselves because tomorrow the lord wants to do amazing things among you this reminds me of my favorite verse from the old testament second chronicles 16 9 which says the eyes of the lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It's a great picture, isn't it? To think right now that the eyes of the Lord are searching everybody in this room, searching this city, searching the world, looking for somebody whose heart is just surrendered to him so that he can say, I will pour out power on that. I will pour out blessing on that. A third thing we learn from this story is you, you just need to expect to take risks and get your feet wet in order to see God move. It's a great picture. In order for the river to be stopped, 
the priests aren't going to be able to just march up to the edge. They've got to get their feet in the water. They're not stepping in a pond. They're not stepping stepping into still water. It is a rushing river at flood stage. And they're going to have to wade off out in there so that all the priests are in the water carrying this incredibly heavy box covered in gold. And when they do that, miles upstream, it says, it's like the invisible hand of God is inserted in the river and the water begins to pile up behind it and the water, you know, immediately flows on down and begins to dissipate. But let me ask you this. What would that have felt like if you were one of the priests stepping into the water? I mean, it's got to be scary, doesn't it? You're not stepping in still water. You're stepping in rushing water, carrying a heavy burden. For the guys on the front end, they've got to feel like they're going to get washed away in this whole thing. They do what God says to do. What immediately happens? Well, in terms of what they can see and know, nothing. Don't you know that's got to feel great? It's like, okay, here we are. The guys on the front end probably thigh deep, if not waist deep in the water, carrying this gold-covered box. And you know the experience has got to be a little bit like when your bathtub's full of water and you pull the stopper out. What can you see in the next 15 seconds? Looks like your drain's clogged, doesn't it? Because the water hasn't suddenly gone away. It's still full of water. Well, the water's been stopped several miles upstream, but it's still flowing where they are. And for a while, they're just standing in there just trying to hold their ground. We're doing what God said to do, but we had not seen God do anything yet. Some of you are living right there right now. You've done as much as you know to do, and you feel like at any moment the current may carry me away. I'm, I may be lost in this whole thing. It's a risky thing to follow God and what he's going to call you to do at times. Do you, do you realize that? You realize how dangerous it can be to follow the call of God on your life. And for a while, they're in this scary in-between where it's like, we did what God said to do. We got our feet wet. We're in the water. But it doesn't look like anything is happening because it's going to take a while for things to move at the place that even though the hand of God has reached down and intervened, it's going to take a while for the water to dissipate. And the interesting thing is it's not going to, when that finally happens, it's not going to be like, bam, there's no more water. No, after a while, the water level is going to go down some and they're going to look down and go, you know what? We were standing in the water and now we're actually on the ground. I guess we can step out a little further now. And then the water goes down some more. We can step out a little further now. And eventually they're standing in the bottom of the riverbed and there is no more water. Most of the people get to wait until all the water is gone and they just pass through on dry ground. Don't you want to be in that crowd? Don't you want to live that life? But you don't get to experience that unless somebody is willing to have the faith to say, put the, put the pole on my shoulder, give me the box. I'm going to step in the water. I'm going to get my feet wet. I'm going to take a chance. Friends, you can't sit in camp in the shade of your tent and see the power of God show up. You're going to have to take some risks. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but I do know this. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some money. It's going to cost you some, some worry along the way because God's going to at times take you to places where you step into something that you haven't done before and where you can't do it on your own. And you'll know that you're in a dangerous, good place when that's the case, when God leads you to that kind of place. And that brings us to the fourth and final thing that I'll say, and it is be faithful to do what you can do and expect God to do what only he can do. The Israelites had a part to play. They had to break camp. They had to load everything up, and they had to start moving in the right direction. The priests had a part to play. Load up, 
take the box and wade out into the water. That's the part that they could do. What they could not do was stop the flow of the river. Only the hand of God could do that. But the way that God works powerfully is always a partnership. It's not because God can't get things done without us. He certainly can. But he's seeking to raise up sons and daughters who partner with him in the accomplishing of his will and the extending of his kingdom and kingdom values. So he consistently involves us in what he's doing. There's a part that they had to do. And God's always going to be faithful to do the part that only he could do. For them, it's pretty straightforward what their role was. In your situation, in your life now, where do you need to see God show up? Where are you hungry to see God move? And what is your part in that deal? And what is God's part? It's interesting how we tend to fall into one extreme or the other. I mean, I think about it like in Celebrate Recovery, John Sally. I know you guys have seen this countless times. That there are people, when they're trying to deal with their own demons, with their own addiction, struggles, and issues that some people will treat it as if it's completely up to them and like they've got to fix it and there's no concept of God and that it's going to take supernatural power in order for me to regain sanity and some sense of wholeness in my life again. So some people will, will just work like it's all just what we can do. Well, that's sad because you totally miss out on the power of God. But then you'll see these other people and they're scarier to me who are the other extreme who act like it's just all up to God. We don't need those steps. We don't need a sponsor. We don't need to do all this other stuff. We're just going to pray. Just going to pray, pray, and believe. And then I'm never going to have this problem again. Woo! Praise God. Had an addiction for the last 10 years, but I said a prayer. I went to that meeting. Woo! I'm free now forevermore. Once in a while, something will happen that way. But the vast majority of the time, you want to know how people get free from things that have kept them in bondage for years and years? It is a partnership between God and us. We do the part that we can do. We, we work our part. And we trust God to do his part. We work like it's all up to us and we pray like it's all up to God. And the intersection of those two things are where we ultimately see God show up and his power poured out. The people did what they could do. And then that was it. Some of them standing at the water's edge, some of them standing in the water and going, hmm, wonder what's going to happen now. Well, we're going to stand here and trust God until he does his part. Where do you need to see God show up in your life? And what is your part? Some of us in the room, some watching and listening online, your part right now is to take a step toward God. It may be for the very first time. To choose to express faith in God. A God you can't see, a God you can't prove, and yet to choose to trust Him and to receive His forgiveness in your life. For some, it may be an initial step toward God to just begin to, to be a person who starts to pray and starts to read the Bible as doing your part to reach out to get to know God. And you're going to have to trust God to do His part to actually begin to show up and make Himself known to you. Some of us have been followers of Jesus for a long time. We know the reality of a relationship with God, but there's a whole next thing that God has in store, and you have a part to play in that. 
And it's not just like it's going to be one thing for the rest of your life. It's just so fun to watch this unfold in our lives where, you know, some people right now, the thing that's, that's currently got them stirred up is some in our church have realized, oh my goodness, God's calling me to go to Africa when we, as we're planting this church, when we take a group over to inaugurate the planting of this church. And Nigeria is not a safe place. It is the most dangerous place in Africa that you can travel to right now. And there are people who are going, I want to see God show up, but I don't want to have to fly over to Africa to do that. And if God called you to do that, you're going to have to do your part. You're going to have to trust him. You're going to have to get your feet wet. We have a part to play. God has a part to play. But don't live with these dumbed down expectations of how about if we just settle for just going to church, read your Bible, say your prayers, and just be a good person. That's just not going to cut it. Remember the words of Jesus in John 14. He who believes in me. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe Jesus to be everything the scriptures teach? He said, the one who believes in me will do the things that I have done and even greater things. And I'm going to go to the Father. And whatever you ask for in my name, I will do so that the Father is glorified. You will be able to do anything. For some of us who right now are going, I kind of remember what it felt like to believe that. But it's been a while since I've believed that. Some of you used to pray for big, bold things from God. And over time, you just gave out of gas. Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 anew. When he said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Some of us today, it is a call Get back asking, get busy seeking, get busy knocking because God wants to come through. He wants to pour out his power. Some of us have just got to wait a little longer in the river. Would you join me as we turn to him together in prayer right now? I want to encourage you to just open your heart to what God wants to say and do in your life. The first thing that we talked about today is being open to God doing a new thing. God leading in a direct new direction and doing a new thing in your life. Are you open to that? If so, would you just say, God, I want a fresh start with you. I want to open my life to you and what you're saying and doing. If the whole idea of faith is new to you, I want to tell you, you don't have to be schooled or trained to enter into a relationship with the Lord you just need to be willing to open yourself up to him and say I want to know you I want to experience your forgiveness and your presence in my life I want to learn to follow you why don't you just pray a simple prayer that says Jesus please come into my life forgive my sins please save me change me and lead me maybe you're already a follower of Christ but but you sure do long to see God work in a fresh way in your life would you just tell him that would you be honest about that would you ask him to show you if there are areas where you need to purify your life would you ask him to give fresh direction 
Lord, we pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray for clarity and direction as we move forward. We open ourselves up to to you and what you want to say and do among us. We thank you for your love and the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. Have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name.